Nothing. Welcome to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts podcast, where we are pulling up for you the footage of Masjid al-Fatih. Finally, after so many, I would almost say years, it's been since COVID, talking about uh, this wonderful building, uh, or this wonderful dua, this gift, this gift that Allah has given us about the dua, uh, the dua of uh, Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr, we finally were, were able to physically go there, okay? Uh, and when we finally went there, physically went there, it is a small, um, we, what we could say, it's a um, monument, essentially. It's really a monument. And more than anything else, it's, but people could go in it, they could pray in it. It's a little stone building, and it's something that was a great honor. And I'm pulling up the footage for you right now. Ryan's going to share it to, with you in a second, and we're going to be able to look at it. And then we'll go into our dua. That'll be segment numero dos for us today. The dua will be segment number, number two. And then we're going to read about the Taliban uh, and the Taliban closing the women's schools. And I'm going to disappoint everyone who wants some extreme opinion on that, uh, which is fine, no problem. But you will come to agree. I'm going to, I guarantee you will come to agree with my points on this issue. Uh, and then we're going to go to your question and answer. So we have four segments today. Uh, and in the meantime... Let's chit-chat and see who's up while this uploads. And then Ryan's going to upload it himself. So uh, let's see what everyone has to say. What do you got, Ryan? You got anything for us while we upload? Sir Faraz, mashallah, we we went and saw him at Umrah. Mashallah. Yeah, take a couple Q&A while things upload. Can we play games like dice, ludo, card, poker with fake chips, chess? Most of that stuff is, if it's a game of chance, it's considered, we treat it as haram in the Madiki school. If it's a 100% game of chance or the majority of it is a game of chance, then we treat that as haram. Uh, or makru, depending on the different opinions on the issue. So there are differences of opinion on it. Haram or makru, you can say. Most games like that that are games of chance are considered forbidden. What else we got? Hmm? Yeah, I sent it over. You should be getting it soon. All right, what else we got here? We got Dino Palaver is here. Sarah Sulehi, Sammu, Atiq, Turquoise. And uh, Ryan was making a really good point about how so quickly all these guys in the sports world rendered their whole careers to be meaningless. So quickly they rendered their entire careers and their entire sport to be meaningless, right? So quickly when DeMar Hamlin went down. And it's almost like the hijabs went down. And everyone, all of a sudden, prayers. So-and-so is for extending his prayers. So-and-so has sent his prayers. Blah, blah, blah. Prayer, prayer to whom? 
just prayers. So it's just like amazing to see and to watch. It's amazing to see and to watch how quickly the hijabs of ghafla go down. And that's why really the Prophet, peace be upon him, truly forbade um, in no uncertain terms playing games for money. He forbade it. And many people don't know that ruling. And I think all the Muslim athletes, people were shocked when I told them this. They may find a fatwa or something from some a madhab or otherwise, but um, uh, uh, that is the ruling. That direct hadith, the Prophet forbade games for, for money. There would be no sport industry in the Sunnah. There is no sport industry. The Prophet does not want people to be playing games for a livelihood. For this very reason, because this is your life. What you do nine to five is is essentially gonna going to determine your state, your spiritual state. I mean, how true is that? That is so true. If you're a caretaker as a nurse or a teacher or a kindergarten teacher for eight hours a day, for five days a week, for fifteen years, are, that's not going to impact your personality, your spiritual state, your perception of life. Of course, it is. You come into this business. Let's say what we're doing here. Dean, work in a masjid or an Islamic organization. Come in as a regular guy. You will, in 15 years, you will be something totally different. In 10 years. You will have been so polished and you're, you will be someone from an Islamic perspective, from a Dini perspective, completely different in a positive way. Just by the, the, the repetitions of Salah in the masjid. The hearing the lectures. And I've actually seen it. I've seen guys who... I didn't even like. And they went into charity, like Islamic charity organizations or something like that. And they spent, and they've been doing that as a job for like 10, 15 years. And I'm telling you, they've heard so many lectures. They've been on many Umrah and Hajj trips. They've been to these war-torn or poverty-stricken areas. They've been to all these places. They're in Masajid all day and all night. Okay? They're in Masajid so much They've been polished. They're exemplary, I can say, and without any hesitation, exemplary in their akhlaq, in their state, their trust in Allah, their belief in Allah and everything. Exemplary, I'm telling you. So uh, what you do nine hours a day, what you do for your livelihood, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the dua, that it's your rizq, your wealth? Because what you do in the society, how you earn your wealth is what you bring to the table of society. So if you're bringing to the society haram, you're bringing so much harm, why would Allah answer your prayers? Why would he give you anything? When you're a net loss to society, you're a net harm to society. That's why it's not the issue of the, the penny itself. It's also, it is that, but it's the penny itself that you earn, the dollar itself that you earn is a reflection of what you do nine hours a day, 40 hours a week. And what you're bringing to society. Your overall impact uh, on the khalq, on the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, let's go to this video. Uh, make sure the audio is on for the video. Yeah. Here is Masjid al-Fatih. Bismillah uh, rahim For a while now I've been posting about the dua of Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr. This is Masjid al-Fat, the tent of the Prophet was here, alayhi salatu wasalam, and this is where he made the dua 
before the Battle of Khandaq. This whole area is where the Muslims were. And then far over there was where the pagans were. So we can now go up uh, and actually see the location of where the Prophet made his dua on Wednesday. He made dua on Monday and Tuesday and he received the Bushra, the good news of acceptance on Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr. And this is the masjid. Just a little small masjid, but this is where the tent of the Prophet was. And this is where he made that dua. And people can come here, make their dua and pray. And we can now combine the time and the place of the ijabah. I, I put them all in one, both in one. All right, so there you have it. Uh, that little masjid at the top of the hill, as I said yesterday, the area of the Khandaq, it's like a valley, but not not a heavy valley, just like it's like flat land, but then on the right side, it goes up, on the left side, it goes up. The Prophet ﷺ stationed his tent at the highest point so he could observe. Then there's a highway, a road, and then there are homes beyond that. It's said that the actual trench was at the road area, a little past the road area, and then the enemy was on the other side. So there are seven little monuments or little masajid there. And those seven little masajid are the places where the Prophet sent him prayed. He prayed Jama'ah prayer with the, with the Sahaba. And that top one there that we looked at, that was where the Prophet made that dua. And we can really, you could judge your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your belief, you could judge yourself. One of the ways is how much you make dua. And how seriously you take these times of ijabah. You cannot be serious about wanting anything and then you miss all of the times of ijabah. You must be lying. You're lying. Your, 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 your claim is false. When you say that, no, I want something badly and, then, and I believe in Allah, He's the only one who's going to give it to me. And then last third of the night, zero. Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr, zero. Al-Sa'a al-Fatimiyah, it's called, which Sayyidah Fatimiyah used to observe, which is an hour before Maghrib on Friday. Thursday nights, all of the night is of Ijabah. Laylat al-Nisfi min Sha'ban, first of Rajab, first night before Rajab. Laylat al-Qadr, really last 10 nights, really all of Ramadan when you break your fast. Sujood, dua after Taslim and before Taslim. Did we miss uh, the nights before the two Eids? When it's raining, when you're traveling, when you're sick. These are, we have to chase after, the, uh, right after the Adhan. Times that are blessed. And then there are places that are blessed. No, no place where dua can be more answered than the holy cities of Mecca and Medina and then after that Al-Quds and then the battlefield if, there, if we were ever in a battlefield like that's an area of Ijabah too because people are being taken as martyrs that's something of course we may not see in our whole life let's turn to our dua A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Rahman Rahim Inna Fatahna Laka Fatham Mubina ليغفر لك اللهم تقدم من ذنبك وما تأخر 
ويتم نعمته عليك ويهديك صراطا مستقيما وينصرك الله نصرا عزيزا وكان عند الله وجيها وجيها في الدنيا والآخرة ومن المقربين وجهت وجهي للذي فطر السماوات والأرض بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نصر من الله وفات قريب وبشر المؤمنين يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا أنصار الله كما قال عيسى بن مريم الحواريين من أنصاري إلى الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم لهما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤده حفظهما وهو العلي العظيم آمن الرسول بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك الأمثال نضربها للناس لعلهم يتفكرون هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو المالك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم وإذ نفسي بالله تعالى من كل ما يسمع بأذنين ويبصر بعينين ويمشي برجلين ويبطش بيدين ويتكلم بشافتين حصنت نفسي بالله الخالق الأكبر من شر ما أخاف وأحذر من الجن والإنس وأن يحضرون عز جاره وجل ثناؤه وتقدست أسماؤه ولا إله غيره اللهم إني أجعلك في نحور آدائي وأعوذ بك من شرورهم وتحيرهم ومكرهم ومكائدهم أطفئ نار من أراد بيادوة من الجن والإنس يا حافظ يا حفيظ يا كافي يا محيط سبحانك يا رب ما أعظم شأنك وأعز سلطانك تحصنت بالله وبأسماء الله وبآيات الله وملائكة الله وأنبياء الله ورسل الله والصالحين من عباد الله حصنت نفسي بلا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم اللهم احرسني بعينك التي لا تنام واكنفني بكنفك الذي لا يرام وارحمني بقدرتك علي فلا أهلك وأنت ثقتي ورجائي يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين اكفني شر كل طارق يطرق بليل أو نهار إلا طارق يطرق بخير إنك على كل شيء قدير. بسم الله أرقي نفسي من كل ما يؤذي ومن كل حاسد الله شفائي بسم الله رقيت اللهم رب الناس أذهب الباس اشفي أنت الشافي وعافي أنت المعافي لا شفاء إلا شفاءك شفاء لا يغادر سقما ولا ألما يا كافي يا وافي يا حميد يا مجيد ارفع عني كل تعب شديد واكفني من الحد والحديد والمرض الشديد والجيش العديد واجعل لي نور من نورك وعز من عزك ونصر من نصرك وبهاء من بهائك وعطاء من عطائك وحراسة من حراستك وتأييدا من تأييدك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام والمواهب العظام أسألك أن تكفيني من شر كل ذي شر إنك أنت الله الخالق الأكبر 
وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه والحمد لله رب العالمين ظاهرا وباطنا وعلى كل حال يا أرحم الراحمين We'll stop here and take a few minutes for dua Bismillah For those who are just joining for the first time on Wednesdays between Dhuhr and Asr is Sa'at Ijaba, in which we recite a small wird and then and then we make a short dua because we and really it could have been longer, but because we are on the stream, um uh, we don't want to make the dua too long for people who are maybe listening or something, but uh, we could go on. And really, there's no reason not to make it longer. Um, dua is a learned thing. Uh, when a person talks to somebody for the first time, there's not much to say. If you talk to them a second time, you build on what you talked the first time. If you talk a third time, you build upon that. And after a year or so, or a month even, you have a lot to talk about. Uh, you should have a lot to talk about. And dua is really no different. You're talking to your creator. You're, you're spilling your heart to your creator. You're bringing your desires, your wants, and your fears, and your concerns to your your khaliq, your creator. And and it's a learned thing. The more you do it, the more you get used to it. And Allah gives you a gift right away, and that gift is a gift of tuma'nina and sakina. Right away that you know that uh, you, you've sort of, you've hit the mark. So that's why dua 
it can be long and really long and without even realizing it. Just like people can scroll on their phones for hours. Hours, I'm telling you, four and five and six hours on their phones. Phone dies, charge that one, get on the laptop. Laptop dies or it's too big, get that, get the phone back, right? People are sleeping, put the earbuds in. Hours on end with what? With the creation, okay? Not even good creation, just fools posting nonsense. But when you're sleepy and your eyes get locked in, it's hard for you to pull out. So we could do that. So it's an exercise that once you find the benefit in it and once you find how good it is and the calmness in it, you won't ever want to leave it. You'll ask, oh Allah, make me want something for the rest of my life because the, the dua itself is a greater gift than whatever you're going to ask for. That's the truth. And in it is the reality of ibadah. Right? The, 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 the reality of ibadah is, uh, is dua more so than anything else recitation no dua is even stronger than recitation because in it is you're admitting that you have a lord that hears you that you're in need and he has you 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 don't have power and he has power you're admitting all this in a dua you're admitting that he answers that he's generous obviously that he exists he can't have those qualities without existing so all of that's extremely important that ends segment number two. Segment number one was to show you what Dar al-Fatih looks like. Segment number two is to recite the word Hizb al-Nasr by Imam al-Haddad and then do the dua. Segment number three, I'm now going to expound upon some uh, principles that I personally observe and feel that they're correct regarding political situations abroad in terms of Muslim parties, etc. Now, Immediately, I like to draw a distinction between parties that are uh, in the Islamic world. That which is openly Muslim and submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those which are not. So you get, for example, most of the regimes of the, of the Arab world, they're, they may pay some respects to Islam. Maybe and maybe not. Okay, They may pay some respects. But are they openly saying, we are here, we have submitted to Allah, and we are here to advance what pleases Allah and reduce what displeases our Creator? And is in line with the Sunnah, we want to advance it, and what is not in line with the Sunnah of our Prophet, we want it to retreat, we want to decrease it. So you have examples of those. Erdogan, for example, is openly explicit about that. The Taliban is openly explicit about that. Uh... The Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt, openly explicit about that. Now, that claim in itself, from a bird's eye view, is positive. That action itself is positive. Like when someone like Mike Tyson, who's, you know, he's Mike Tyson. You know what everything, you know about him, right? You don't expect a serious, profound, you know, seriousness to hover around Mike Tyson. He's like an entertainer. He's still an entertainer till today. When a man like him takes shahada, you have to appreciate it. You you respect that. You uh, uh, it's honorable, even if no matter what whatever he does in his personal life and his entertainment stuff, that's separate, right? But that thing right there is good. That's my perspective on all these groups. That doesn't mean. Now we have to talk about the next step. So that's the first thing. You separate that. I would not ever support 
a secular political group who is whether they're muslim or not let's say they are muslim secular group over one of these who openly espouse that they're for the islam okay including saudi let's say saudi saudi's mixed really because their leadership from day one have been saying we are the political leaders and we're giving free reign to these religious leaders Okay, so Saudi's sort of mixed. It's sort of, the, it's mixed. But even them, right? Anyone who is openly and explicitly, I put them in that one bucket, and I would not support someone who is openly secular and refuses to make that statement. They cannot be equal in my eyes. Looking from, from 5,000 miles away, it cannot be equal someone who will not touch and say anything about Islam and the ones who do. They're not equal. One is better than the other. Okay, now let's talk about what do I mean even by the word support? Okay, the word support. Support, it's, it's the, I would say that there's levels. And I would put myself at the most superficial level because I'm 5,000 miles away from all, these, all this news and all these happenings. I don't have time, nor I do I know what's the trustworthy resource to know what's going on. So I just say the general support for that aspect the very basic support for that aspect of that political party that's espousing that they're trying to do something good and they're openly submitted to God and his prophet and his law, that aspect is what I support. Does it, it doesn't mean a granular support to every single person nor an explicit support of that group. I'm supporting that aspect of their action. And I'm saying they are not equal to the secularists and they're definitely not equal to a non-believer so they will not be treated the same in my view i cannot treat them the same so support it's i would say you have to break it down into the levels and i will put my level as a very generic support of an openly muslim and islamic agenda uh, uh party versus another the non another principle that i think is very important is not to sponsor or advocate a specific political entity or a specific political party. Why? Because that would entail me having to justify and explain and support the details. And I don't want to get into that because I don't know the details. And you never want, if you're in the world of sort of preaching and dawah, you don't want to attach yourself to any political entity. Every political entity political person political uh party has to do some shady things if i was ever had to be king i'd probably end up maybe doing some some things that were i had to do them i could probably justify it with fiqh language right but you would probably have to cut some corners it's always in the name of lesser of two evils right it's not like you're intentionally doing haram but you have to choose lesser of two evils and most people don't understand that so if you're in the realm of Dawah, you don't want to attach yourself to any political party. They could go astray. They could, make, they could do a, a lesser of two evils and you're stuck you know, defending that. So I don't want to attach myself to any political party and support them in specific. So again, it's the general support that they are the openly Muslim and Islamic party puts them at a level of respect to me that is higher than a secular group or a non-Islamic, non-Muslim group. But I still won't attach myself to that specific thing that specific party because then i would have to defend everything they do 
And the level of support that I'm saying is limited just to that aspect. I may hate everything else they do, but I still respect that, that they're openly Muslim. Okay. Now, as for the specific matter of the Taliban closing the schools, no Islamic government has to, if we want to take just bare bone Islamic law, that's one perspective we're going to look at. The other perspective is harm, benefit and harm. The third perspective is the visual of it. The, the what do they call it? The, um, uh, the optics of it. Okay. The first one, when it comes to Islamic law, the, the, the dawla, the state, is under no obligation. The sultan is under no obligation to educate you. He's under no obligation to open a school. You go educate yourself. In, in Khilafah of Islam, if we're going to talk about Islamic law, uh, show me where it, does it say anywhere in the Sharia that the Sultan must open schools and educate everybody. No, education is always a private matter, right? It's always a private matter. Okay? So they don't have to open a public school for men or women. That's one thing. So just from the barebone Islamic ruling, that's that. Now, life is not just barebone Islamic rulings. If anyone who's lived life, you have to always look at benefits and harms. And this is something that we always talk about with marriage, right? Well, the barebone Islamic ruling is that uh, polygamy is halal. Okay, fine. But is that how you make judgments? Or do you also look at, is this going to harm my daughter? If I go and I took a second wife, my daughter's going to be like, this is something so new to her life. She's never seen her dad do it, her grandfather do it. Her uncles didn't do it. None of her friends' dads did it. There's no reference point for this. She has no way to emotionally gauge this. And she could be totally messed up in the head permanently, right? Because she doesn't know how to handle this. She has no reference point for this, okay? So it's something that I'm responsible for that harm. I, did I commit that? The, the marriage itself is not sinful. I'm not committing zina. But the harm, I'm responsible for. So when we live life as Muslims, we don't live life by a textbook purely. We also have to judge benefits and harms. And in the urf of the world that we know today, countries support public schools, right? That's like urf. It's like a widespread thing, right? So now you go to the element of benefit and harm, and clearly, and I say this, and this is another point, uh, a lot of the Muslim guys, they're, they just, they, they have very little tolerance of, especially the religious guys, a lot of them, they have very little tolerance for women wanting to do anything. And I'm thinking to myself, not everything that a woman wants to do is based in feminism. I mean, you cannot expand feminism so much that every single little thing that a woman wants to do, it's feminism. It's almost like Hasid can, in some cultures, Hasid is expanded so much, right? You stub your toe, Hasid. You had a flight fight with your wife, Hasid. Your kid got an F, Hasid. It's like you're patting yourself on the back way too much. Nobody really admires your family that much, to be quite honest with you, just to put it, to put you, bring you down to earth. The Wahhabiya shirk. Everything is expanded to shirk so much. You wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you wonder, did I commit shirk with the toothbrush? Right? It's like uh, way in an excess, Okay. You go now, let's say, to what else is, is 
uh, a shaitan himself, right? Shaitan himself is blamed for things. Your own nafs did it, right? Shaitan comes on the day of judgment and he says, Don't blame me. Your own self did it. I didn't do this to you. I never, I never forced you to do anything. Shaitan is blamed excessively for everything. Zionism on one hand. Oh, every other thing in the world is Zionism. So if you look at different groups, they tend to expand their enemy a lot more than they're actually expanded. That they're actually so wait a second, you're telling me the Zionists they're that powerful? They're in everything. Every single thing is a Zionist plot. Facebook is a Zionist plot. Everything is a Zionist plot. Okay? The elders of Zion, who were these people? You know, they ever see this book, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion? Who knows if it's real or not, right? But everything, like they 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 are they have planned and plotted the economics. Sigmund Freud, they're behind him, they're behind Marx, they're behind, they were behind Napoleon, they're behind World War One. they're behind World War Two. is these old Romanian guys, or Eastern European Jews, right, who, who are right in the protocols of the elders of Zion, they're behind Hollywood, they're behind, what, wait a second, let's get a reality check here, you've expanded it way too much, so likewise, uh, a, a woman wants to go and, 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 and do some basic human thing like learn about life, about the world. That's feminism. It's not feminism. Like, tone it down. A, yes, feminism, to me, it's an evil ideology. Evil because it, it separates people. It makes so much anger and hatred in people's hearts to, towards men in general or, or specific aspects, right? And it's a lens. It becomes a lens, for if when you see some of these when you read some of these articles and you, and you meet some of these people it becomes a lens like men it's just so evil to them like oh your dad was evil your grandpa was an abuser your great-grandfather was an abuser right everyone is an abuser half humanity is an abuser right it's like a lens that's absurd it, you first you can't prove it secondly it's just absurd when you hear it so you can't now have a reverse lens Anytime if she's wanting to breathe, she wants to step outside the house and get some sun. She wants to do something. That, to me, is the reverse disease. And I'm not into these extremes. Maybe, and Allah knows best, I've had a good uh, fortune in my life with that the women around my, the immediate women around my life have been reasonable, right? They're uh, Muslims and submitted to Allah and yet also educated and they do stuff in the world and they want to produce some benefit to life. And what is wrong with that? Oh, the benefit of life is to raise your kids. Really? Like, yes, it is 100%. Number one is faith, family, finances for everyone, men and women. And of course, women have to take care of the kids more so than the men because the man is obligated to produce the money in Islam, in the Sharia. He's obligated to earn income. He cannot earn income and stay home at the same time. So she's got to actually take care of the little babies. We have no problem when they're young and they're dependent, right? But you cannot tell me that an educated woman is going to find fulfillment wiping diapers. Alhamdulillah, we're doing wiping the diaper, mashallah. So now, are you kidding? Like, there's, you have to have a level of common sense. You Clearly, many of these guys, they never dealt with, I, I have to say, like, did you ever deal with a human being like a woman? Like, these, they're just, and nisa, shaqa'iqul rijal, the Prophet said, they're the second half of men. They're half. They're they're twins. Meaning, most of their their desires, thinking is similar. So, that aspect of things, 
that just they want to get educated. Look at these women, they want to get educated. It's an extreme to me. It's an extreme. Just as the other extreme in this whole thing is that the Taliban should be treated like Modi, should be treated like uh, basically uh, like um, France, the way that we talk about the secular French and what they're doing and what Modi's doing, what China's doing to the Muslims. No, I say no. The Taliban are not going to be treated like that. They're Muslims, number one. Number two, technically speaking, it was not. they have no responsibility technically speaking, to educate the populace. Go educate yourselves, right? Boys and girls, okay? Technically speaking. So you can disagree all you want about the harm, the benefit or harm of their policy. I have no problem with that, okay? You could be angry. You could say it's misguided. But at the same time, if we're going to go by uh, Sharia, you can go and educate yourself, make little homeschool networks. But, okay, let's say you totally disagree. Fine. Totally disagree, but that level of anger towards them and hatred of them will not be equal to the hatred of a kafir and a secularist. Say what you want about all these Islamic groups, Muslim Brotherhood. Many of them have many bid'ah khafifa, which means that it doesn't remove them from Ahl Sunnah, but it's like something that it's incorrect, a misguided error. Many misguided errors, but we cannot put them equal. So that's the one extreme. And then the other extreme that I'm noticing, it's almost like there's... There's these both extremes. Uh, something in the middle is probably more accurate. The extreme that uh, she wants to get educated, that's feminism, right? Uh, and then when they say that, well, what's happening in the education is that the ideas are very bad and they're teaching maybe, I don't know what they're teaching, evolution, Darwinism. Well, wouldn't that affect the guys too, right? You should take the guys out of that school too, if that's what was the case, just as, as, an, as a concept, if it's the content of the education, then pull the, pull the boys out of it too. If they're teaching evolution in a school, in a class, I'm going to say to both my son and my daughter, leave the class. Object. And there was a book, said the dog, Paul, and the whale, Finn, look similar. So they have the same ancestry. Or the, do- the, the whales came from dogs or vice versa. Bears from orca whales or something. Yeah. Far off. I mean, the analogy, the qiyas here, in logic, it's like a massive leap, right? From just one... Sim- so there's a lot of observations. There's, apes have legs, you have legs. Am I supposed to make a conclusion there, right? Anyway, if it's the content, then it applies to guys and girls, right? They should be out of the school. So why did they uh, do that? We can read here now. I'm just going to read it. But my, my essential principles, all right? my essential principles these are the essential principles brother says here is the house better for women than than being outside yes that's the asl in 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 the quran the going out is an exception going out man has to go out by necessity sharia forces him to go earn an income okay if a woman goes out if there's uh, some harm in the way and if there's no harm then it becomes permitted for them right so these are some general principles, which, as I said, no one's going to be, uh, most people, anyone who's on those edges, which I view them as extremes. Extremes are, it's relative, right? There's some relativity to extremes. There are cultural relativities to extremes, too. Okay. So, um, this, all I could tell you is that that's how I perceive things to be. I don't say that every single thing that a woman wants to do, we have to blame feminism for it, 
right? And every and then the Taliban are like the kuffar. We have to hate them, and it's just like oh, we're parroting the liberals here, and uh, just hating. Everyone wants to, to be honest with you. Everyone wants to crap on the Taliban all the time. They're just easy targets, and that's what bothers me, right? Yeah, maybe they have something here or there. Fine, but they're such. But to see the whole world bullying them, and they're such easy targets. It's cheap. It's low. You don't kick someone when they're already being kicked. How many nations have bullied these people? Cut them some slack. Okay, if the British came, then the Russian came, then the Americans came, and you could count the decades of peace in between. Are you going to be normal if that happened to you? And no, but if, if someone touches you, oh, I'm traumatized, I have to be treated separately. But if three civilizations try to obliterate your country, no trauma is ever recognized for those people? Like no slack is ever cut for the, for the Afghan people. After three civilizations, the most powerful civilizations of every era has come and, and tried to cream these people and wipe and annihilate them. We're not going to cut them any slack. SubhanAllah. Let's read the article. The Taliban administration in Afghanistan has announced that girls' high schools will be closed. They backtracked. Female students above sixth grade will not be able to attend schools. A Ministry of Education notice said that schools for girls will be closed until a plan was drawn up in accordance with Islamic law and Afghan culture. I don't know what the Afghan culture is, right? I know what the Egyptian culture is. Pretty much maybe guess fairly accurately about the Turkish and the, all the Mediterranean cultures. I don't know what the Afghan culture is. And then is there, we, do we have a generational gap here? Like the youth of Afghanistan, are like they like the elders of Afghanistan? Of course not, no. The youth of Afghanistan who grew up on the internet are not going to be like the elders of Afghanistan. So you're going to have a generational gap there too. Is it possible to have Islamic schools? Very possible. If I, uh, if I was a, gov- uh, a governor, I would want an educated populace. I think anyone would, right? I don't think they want an ignorant populace. I think they want an educated populace, but their concept of the culture may be different than ours. Okay. We've dealt with generational cultures, uh, gaps. We've dealt with immigration gaps. We've dealt with cultural gaps. Uh, me as anyone who's a kid of immigrants you notice probably your parents have adjusted to the western culture with time but maybe way back early on especially in the 80s and 90s when the internet the world was not one neighborhood or one what do they call it one global village the immigrant and the first generation you notice a massive cultural and generational gap and technological gap massive gaps i think maybe that's What's going on here? So the, maybe the men who made these decisions, hey, all my grandparents, grandmothers never went to school. This is a new thing in our society and they get nervous about something and shut it down. Whereas the, the younger generation has not seen life without schools and they see the whole world's going to school. So it's a shock and it's an area of disagreement. A Ministry of Education notice said... Uh, that they will draw up these plans. We inform all girls' high schools and those schools that are having female students above six that they are off until the next semester. So is he saying here that they already have girls' schools? Right? Now, you may say that the elders, they don't have secular education, 
So they are nervous about the next generation having secular education possible. That it's a complete misguided and it's based upon defensiveness and it's based upon maybe that they feel that these girls are starting to know more about the world than them. That's a big assumption. How do you know these facts? How do you know that these are facts? We don't know. Could it be? Yeah, everything is in the realm of possibility. But we don't know that it's a fact. Okay, Heather Barr, a journalist, says girls in Afghanistan crying after they were promised schools would reopen. And then Taliban closed them again. Hold on, Heather Barr, let's go to your record and see if you reported them crying in 2002 when they were being killed. So I don't want to hear anything from you Westerners and you hypocrites. These people were bombed, their lights out by George W. Bush and nobody said anything. Now, when it comes to a Western value, so Muslim women in Afghanistan, you can talk. You talk. You, Western uh, uh, liberal journalists, zip it because you're munafiks and all you care about is reporting something that is in line with your own ideas. So I don't care what you have to say. Uh, Heather Barr, who was just so emotional that the girl's crying. That girl was crying 2001 when her parents were killed and you said nothing. So, so just, we're not accepting it from you. I'll accept it from a regular Afghan woman who's lived there, lived through the wars. That's her country. That's her life experience. That who I'll accept it from. Now the minister, uh, the spokesman Aziz Rayyan, he would not comment on the reasoning. It's very disappointing that girls who are waiting for this day made a return are made to return from school. So the optics of that and the decision, I mean, well, why did you promise it and then pull it back? That's like an administrative blunder. That's a blunder in a decision making. You made a promise and now you pulled it back. So yeah, you're going to deserve some backlash. I can't sympathize with you on that. When you made a promise and then you pulled it back. See, what I try to find is objective things that we can definitely say based upon facts that something's right or wrong. And that's definitely wrong. You can't make a promise like that. Like there was a person who went for a ruqya one time. And they, the, person, they, the people didn't know how this works. So they said to him, is there a fee? He said, no, you just put a donation in whenever you want in the box. No fee. So they did the ruqya, spent an hour with the man, and they left. They go and they put like a small amount of money in the box. The guy goes to check the box and he finds like a, a $50 bill. Hey, $50 an hour is not that bad, right? He gets upset and he said, no, no, you need to put $300. That's the cost. Oh, wait a second. You just messed up in fiqh right there. If you told people that this transaction is charitable, there's no cost. You cannot come afterwards and say, no, it's $300 an hour. So... That's an objective fact. This is an objective fact. You, you made a promise. You broke your promise. So you deserve the backlash that you're going to get. I'm sorry to tell you that. On this matter, that's it. It, sh- it shows that the Taliban are, are not reliable. By the way, that's if, if this news report is correct, that they promised it, then they retracted it. Okay? It shows that the Taliban are not reliable and cannot fulfill their promises. Yes, that's also true. Okay? This is said by an Afghan politician. I'm sure she's based in London. I'm sure she hates the Taliban, but that doesn't matter because that's actually true. Okay. 
It means that as true as we said, the government is not obligated to educate your own people. You go get educated yourself. Okay. Likewise, this is true. It means that secondary and high school uh, girls are banned. Even primary schools are not open across the country. Most of the provinces do not have girls' primary schools. She laments, okay, go raise money and build it yourself. Right? Expecting this this poor government who's uh, probably isolated economically from the whole world and probably cannot even put together good schools financially. So you're in London, you're eating and sleeping and peacefully and making a lot of money. So donate and start a girls' school. Then let them have schools in their homes in private where the Taliban can't go and shut them down. And it shows that the Taliban is exactly the same as before. They are against girls' education. It could be true, it could not be true. Well, clearly they're shutting down. Uh, are they, what are their beliefs on girls' education? Clearly, not extremely, they're not extremely active in it. But is, are, is, is it fathomable that they want ignorant girls? Like, let's also think that they're not also, they're human beings, Taliban, they're human beings too. Is it fathomable that they're, they're against women's education? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm giving too much credit, but I can't imagine that they're against... It's a claim, right? Is it fathomable that they want their girls to be ignorant? The education ministry acknowledged authorities faced a shortage of teachers. I cannot expect the Afghan government to put together a great public school. Go put your own together. Afghans, dissidents, whatever you are, go raise the money and, and, and hire the teachers yourself. Make homeschools. The education uh, ministry continued to say that many tens of thousands of people fled the country, especially the Western educated people who would have fulfilled these roles after the Taliban took over again, right? Says Pre- President uh, Ashraf Ghani. When his, uh, sorry, when, when Ashraf Ghani's government collapsed, Western based government collapsed, all these Western educated people, they all fled, so there's not enough teachers. We need thousands of teachers to solve this problem. We are trying to hire new teachers on a temporary basis, the spokesman said. The Ministry of Education had announced last week that schools for all students, including girls, would open around the country on Wednesday, Okay, which is the first half of Afghanistan's new school year. Okay, Then on Tuesday evening... The ministry spokesman released a video congratulating all students to return to class. All right, they're telling you a video was out there, so I'm sure that they're not lying about this. I'm pretty sure. An AFP team was filming at a certain school in Kabul, and a teacher entered and said class is over. The students, crestfallen, they came back to school for the first time. And by the way, it is an all-girls school. It's not a mixed school with guys and girls. It's an all-girls school. Okay. But it's like it's concrete. It's not something that you would want to be in. Right. But anyway, all the girls tearfully packed up their bags and left. And my girls are, yeah, because it's not just about the policy. It's about how you implemented it and how you promised one thing on Tuesday. On Wednesday, you just made your, what kind of, am I wrong about that? Right. Muslim or not, pious, pious or not, good intention or not, you screwed it up. Okay, the way that you rolled it out, just like uh, KSA, I have no problem with Saudi trying to say, listen, we want the most money out of this. Let's be as efficient as possible. We'll control the Hajj.
But the Motowif rollout was a disaster, right? The rollout was a disaster. Likewise, this is sort of, whatever your policy is, you may have been 100% right, but the way you went around doing it, you're going to get a backlash. Because you said one thing, you went and did the other thing. Righteous, pious Muslims could screw up, right? That doesn't mean that he's some munafic and we have to hate him like the way we hate kuffar. No, we could screw up. How many masjid boards and, and Muslim households are run by pure, like, some emotional, you don't know which way it's going to go, right? How many Muslim households are run by a dad who you just don't know which way it's going to go, right? You don't know what mood it's in today. What We don't know, can I go, can I not go? Is he going to approve of this? Is there a logic, is there a book I could follow, right, that's going to tell me where my dad's position is going to be? We're used to this. That doesn't mean it's right. But we were used to the concept that a pious man could have could not be a very good administrator or leader. That doesn't mean we're going to put him up with a kafir and a munafik, right? The students were crying and reluctant to leave class, says Umrah Khan. And by the way, not everyone who criticized the Taliban is some feminist supporting liberal kafir and munafik. That also is absurd, too. It's an unacceptable it's painful to see the students crying. We all got disappointed and we all became totally hopeless when the principal told us, yeah, but you can't live in a country. They tell you one thing, Tuesday night they congratulate you, Wednesday they close the schools. Something's wrong with your heads. Like if someone did that to me and said, hey, tomorrow you're going to go on vacation to get the day off, right? And here's a whole bunch of money, go on vacation. Oh, I'm so pumped, here we go. And then the morning obviously, no, no, it's canceled. You, you work. I can't live under such a person's roof, Right? So what's going on? Probably some internal thing, right? And is that's irrational, but that's okay. There are many pious and good people who are irrational or make, ira- let's not say irrational, but they made a decision that's sort of irrational. It, it caused, they, how, how, how many people, pious Muslim people, have made a decision or have behaved in a way that makes you lose trust in their leadership? Many mosque boards, Alhamdulillah, not, my, not the message that we're associated with, so nobody think that that's a, 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 a hidden jab at them. It's not. But other mosque boards, they can behave in an irrational manner. Many uh, head of household, right? Make a decision, you lose trust in the leadership. Many companies, many schools, you just lose trust in leadership. You said one thing, you now you did an about-face. The last time Taliban ruled Afghanistan, 1996 to 2001, it banned female education and most female employment. Now then they returned to power this August, they promised girls' education and girls' employment. The international community has made the education of girls a key demand for any future recognition of the Taliban administration. Well, I, that, that I don't like to see. We don't, you, you guys did nothing for us when three civilizations, three of the greatest empires, were obliterating us to the moon. Okay, and now you come in and put demands on us. Uh, that to me. Remember when we read the Taliban press release, right? And they were like, "We are here. We want to be part of the the Taliban, uh, the world community." And I was like, "What the heck? You guys are the Taliban, right? Have some toughness in your press release. Like, we're here. We're going to do what we want. You guys try to obliterate us three times. We're still standing. We don't want to hear anything you have to say. That's the type of attitude I would like to see." Of course, in the back end of things, you have to make relations. You got to sell stuff. You got to buy stuff. You have to make deals. That's in the back. But the front of it should have been much stronger. 
we we did that on nothing but facts a while back. That's like uh, you know the uh, Somali pirates releasing a press release saying we would like to respect the oil tankers as they pass by, right? <laughs> no, you're, you're, it's off brand. Kareem, salam rahmatullah. What's happening? What? What's going on? Uh, half day at Amazon, mashallah. Uh, lunch break. Lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now the international community uh, has made these demands and the uh, U.S. forces withdrew. United Nations envoy uh, was initially pleased with the announcements and then after the closure, it, they found it disturbing. You know what? I really could care less what the U.N. envoy thinks. U.N. envoy did nothing for them when they were dying and being killed. So what you have to say means nothing to me. Okay. The Norwegian Refugee Council. What is your business with the Norwegian Refugee Council commenting on Afghanistan? The, I'm telling you, the nerve. It's one thing for us to have our own debate. It's another thing for these people to come in and chime in, uh, 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 like, in, in, such a, uh, in such a manner. What is the Norwegian Refugee Council? You go back to your Icelandic uh, roots and go back to your home and, and, and shovel snow. Like, what is your business in Afghanistan? They have deep concerns against... What is this, the Norwegian Refugee Council refugees, like Afghan refugees? Is that their business? But shouldn't you be bothered if people are talking about your family, right? Your family went through through hell for 30 years. And now that you're recovering, now you got people pontificating about you and telling you what to do and, and commenting. It's got to bother anybody. We expect the Taliban government. Who are you, first of all? Norwegian Refugee Council? We expect? Who in the world are you? Is it me or is this like totally out of line? Like, it's, you're totally out of your place right here, right? You're not even close to Afghanistan. You would have to take three flights to get into Afghanistan. We expect the, govern the Taliban government. Oh my goodness. Why is the Jazeera reporting this nonsense in the first place? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to read the most sympathetic article here, right? Al Jazeera is probably going to be the most sympathetic one to, that, to the Taliban. Probably the, so the critique of the Taliban will be most fitting, right? Whereas at CNN, you expect all trash, right? They're going to trash on the Taliban. Uh, anything else, you're going to expect them. BBC, you're going to expect them to crap on the Taliban. But here, Al Jazeera, Qatar, you know, they got, you expect a little bit of uh, a sensitivity there. Because that makes the critique more rooted. The critique of your ally, or supposed ally, not ally, they're not going to be allies, but... <clears throat> anyway, let's keep reading. This, this absurd comment from John Eglund. All right. We expect them to resume the complete education cycle for all girls and all boys in line with earlier public assurances they have given. The nerve. That's why it stinks to be weak. Because this kind of garbage happens. And you got some fool commenting from way different hemisphere. The nerve that they're commenting, that means you're weak. Not, not blaming them for being weak, but I'm saying that's how terrible it feels to be weak. When the Taliban took over, schools were closed because of COVID. But only boys and younger girls were allowed to resume classes two months later. The Taliban had insisted they wanted to ensure schools 
for girls age 12 to 19 were segregated and would operate according to Islamic principles. Good for you. I support you on that. The t- uh, 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 by the way, I don't even think boys should be in school eight hours a day. They should be in theory for four hours, and then they should be in the fields with other men for four hours. Imagine raising a generation like that. Okay, Theory for four hours a day. First, physical fitness. So first thing, when you walk, when you come, you, you, you do a jog. First thing. Okay. And then you do theory for four hours or whatever. Then each kid gets assigned to a company, a business, and it's going to be great for the economy. It's going to be free labor, but it'll be monitored labor. It won't be abuse. And through working with these men and hanging out with these guys, you learn 10 times more than what you had learned in theory. I'm dead against eight hours of a boy sitting in a school. It's abuse. Wallah, to me, it's abuse. And I'm not saying that it's, I'm saying that, and I've said this before, these are macro comments that I don't expect, that I don't blame anyone that's, that's guilty of it, right? No one's guilty of it. It's just the way of the world. You can't change society uh, just in one stroke like that. So, when, and when I say it, abuse, I mean that like in a very hyperbolic way. It's not real abuse. It's like hyperbolically I say that. So macro uh, 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 you know, problems, nobody's, you live with them. Nobody's changing them, and it's nobody's fault. You live with them. You do the best you can with it, right? Just like 100 million Muslims living in the Western Hemisphere. This is probably wrong in fiqh in the first place, but it's a macro problem, right? No one's changing it, and no one's really guilty of it. Right? You just live with it and do the best you can with it. So the boys in schools, to me, four, year, four hours theory, then every boy gets an assignment with a company or business, a government, something to do work and to learn. They will learn 10 times more. And they'll become men. Now you got, you got 20-year-olds who's never had a responsibility in his life. They don't have time to shoelaces, right? They literally cannot rely upon them for anything at the age of 20. At the age of 15, can't rely upon him for anything. Go to point A to point B, is going to get lost. The Taliban have imposed a slew of restrictions on women, effectively banning them from many government jobs, policing what they wear, preventing them from travel outside their cities alone. Even if schools do reopen fully, barriers to girls returning to education remain, with many families suspicious of the Taliban and reluctant to allow their daughters outside. Others see little point in girls learning at all. Well, that's their culture. right? And, and not all culture is good and bad. Culture could be murgha. Urf can be murgha, which means it's contrary to the sharia. It's no good. In, invalid, void. And it could be muhakkam. Right, it could be something that's acceptable in the Sharia, and so we take it as uh, we we act upon it. Those girls who have finished their education have ended up sitting at home, and their future is uncertain. Now, how's that going to be beneficial? Just sitting at home. Uh, sitting at home in the old days is different than sitting at home today. Sitting at home in the old days, you were busy. It took. I read a book about Mauritania one time where they have to wake up right when the sun rises, and they got to work for about five hours to prepare dinner to prepare the meal that everyone's going to eat. took a long time. And I can even remember myself going to the countryside of Egypt where pasta was made. So they made it. And they they would actually make like, um, they would, they, what is it even made of? Like wheat? Make the, they would literally, it would go from wheat to pasta in the same family farm. And then I saw them putting it all, like it, it ends up being like a chunk, a big chunk and then they put it in a little machine and they turn it like turn it like this and it comes out as spaghetti right 
that's how that was what life used to be like. Now today, when you do sit at home and look at the walls, that's what, huh? Oh, totally. Exactly, farm to table. But but as I said, we have Islamic law, but we also have practical real life. What in the world are you going to do sitting at home all day when when you, all the food just comes to you, right? And you're just looking at the concrete walls. That can't be good for your mental health. You want that to be the mother of your civilization, right? Human Rights Watch. Oh, another one of these groups. So you have no problem having this debate and argument internally amongst Muslims. I don't want these people coming and commenting. Human rights? How about the war on Afghanistan? What human rights was that? Right? There was absolutely no evidence for that, for that war. Okay, well, mo- definitely for the Iraq war, there was no evidence. For the Afghan war, you guys went and told us they're harboring him, right? And we're in a world now that you can, we can pinpoint like where a nova or a, or a star or a supernova is millions of light years away. Okay, and, you, and, and didn't they use electronics, supposedly use electronics to take down the, these twin towers? Or they did it, what, by letters? Right? They got electronics. You couldn't find him? You had to blow up the whole country? Of course, the whole thing had to, had to do with the natural gas of Afghanistan. It had nothing to do with bin Laden. But anyway, where was Human Rights Watch then? So that's why I don't want to hear anything from these people. Anyway, Al Jazeera is quoting them, so we'll read the quote. Why would you and your family make huge sacrifices for you to study if you can never have the career you dreamed of? Okay. Sahar Fatrat, an assistant researcher, said with the group. And that's the end of the article, I guess. It looks like that's the end of the article. So, um, as we said, to summarize, Kareem came late, but to summarize, it's basically we looked for the kulliyat of the mas'ala. And the kulliyat of the mas'ala, to me, the kulliyat means it's a general principle. And it could apply to many things. Is that when I look at, from, from a bird's eye view from 5,000 miles away, the political parties of the Muslim world, I look at them as those who are explicitly and openly, they have telling you they submit to Allah and His Messenger and they want to advance Islam. And then there is the secular groups. They cannot be treated equally by us. Irrespective of all the mistakes, misguided errors, even light bid'ahs, that that one group is, is, is upon. The Muslim Brotherhood's one of those, the Muslim Brotherhood is explicitly trying to be Muslim. Of course, they are... Like, if you say the word Muslim Brotherhood in the Arab world, you go to jail right away. Like, they are so scared. If anything bad happens, they blame it on the Muslim Brotherhood. I wasn't even a supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood. But for, again, from that bird's eye view, one group of guys, they're saying we're Muslims and we're here to advance Islam. Whatever you think of else, that's a good quality. They have to be respected for that, right? And then others are openly secular. So they cannot be equal in my view. And they get respect for that aspect of their their action. Anything beyond that could be, you can call it a misguided error. You could not like the way they do things. And you could say even that they have many innovations and errors in their beliefs and in their practice. Fine, all that you could say. But they cannot, you cannot be treat them equally as the secularists. So that's the one kulia or general principle that I go by. Second general principle is you can never really attach yourself for uh to any political party 
because that, especially if you're in da'wah, because then you'd be responsible for justifying all of their actions, and it's going to come back against you, right? So you should never really support, explicitly support a specific uh, person or party. Uh, third thing is that you always there's always a lack of information to pass a judgment. So and when when it came to the schools, the way I looked at it is divided up into the Islamic ruling, the orf and the benefit and harm. And then, what was the third thing we said, Rai? We said the, um, oh, the optics of it. The optics of it. So when it comes to the Islamic ruling of it, if that's what we, we're going to go by, they're not responsible for educating anybody, right? There is never in any Islamic text on the khilaf or whatever that they have to go make a school for you to go and get educated? No, they're not responsible for that at all. They're responsible for making sure that the public... Uh, area is sa- is safe everything that is not private territory or private property that the public is safe and that no open sins are happening there or harm and that the enemies are staying outside the country and if they have excess money they feed they feed you right they feed the poor that's what the islamic government's responsible they don't have to educate you so that's the first thing on the islamic point the second thing is that on the Orfi side of things, no, it is ex- uh, expected, and it's a reasonable expectation that government is involved in education by Orf. All throughout the world, the government does this because of how expensive education is. So it is it, within policy, not within Sharia, but within policy, it's a reasonable expectation. Right? They, could, they don't have to pay anything. If they started paying something, right? If I started... You started giving you sadaqah, and I changed my mind. By Sharia, I haven't done anything wrong. Now, here's where is the optics and the administration. That's the third aspect. That they totally botched it. They went and they promised it. They set up all the schools. They hired all the teachers. These poor girls got the navy blue uniforms and the white Amira hijab, right? <laughs> like every other Islamic school. The, the, the navy blue abaya and the white scarf. I don't know why there's no, no colors left. All the Islamic schools got to wear those same colors, right? And they hired all the teachers. The girls got the books. The minister even sent a video message the night before. And then on the day of, they say, sorry, school's all canceled. So you totally botched it. You deserve everything you get in terms of backlash and hate after that because that you screwed up. And then I said, though, but put it in context. Pious people can screw up. Uh, it's not an evil... I say that because some people want us to put the Taliban with Modi, Israel, France, and lump them with the kuffar. And ISIS, we're not going to put Taliban with them, right? The Taliban are not them, okay? They're, we don't put a Muslim in a lump them with a kafir. And, but, and, and, and look, the, the, the Islamic thing, they're not responsible if I should have to do that. Fine, but we, don't go, we have to go by orf. By orf, okay, we have to include that. We have to include that. And by Orf, yeah, it is expected in the world today that you sponsor public schools for boys and girls to be educated. So, but why did they do that? It's really, who knows why they're doing that, okay? Who knows why they're doing that? Thirdly, the optics of it, yeah, you totally botched that, right? You totally botched the administration of it, okay? <sighs> So that's basically the summary. What do you have to add to that, Kareem? That's a good summary, right? 
because I try to look at it as like what's an objective fact that you could state and I try to stay away from what many people want which is they want you either the crap on the Afghanistan uh, on the Taliban who as I also mentioned have been bullied they're the easy target and it's low in my opinion to go that route because they're the easiest target in the whole world okay ISIS these are a bunch of bad boy gangsters at least in their videos they try to appear that way and they're beheading people whatever these Taliban they're like miskins in my view that they're miskins right they're they they're they're just uh, pushed around by the global community so i felt it was like cheap to to join that and on top of that they're muslims you can't take that away from them and the other side is oh the other thing that i mentioned is that this the flip swing of it is that anything women want is feminism if she wants to just learn something about you know, medicine or chemistry or, or literature. It's a liberal feminist. And that's the expansion of the, the, the enemy. You go to certain quarters, the Zionists are behind everything. They're behind the internet. They're behind the space travel. They're behind World War I, Napoleon, currencies. They're behind everything. Zionists, the protocols of the elders of Zionists, every, elders of Zion, they're behind everything. Uh, some Muslims, it's hasid. Everything that bad happens, Oh, my neighbor gave me hasid. My family gave me hasid. Right? We got a new car, hasid. So it's like the expansion. And some Muslim guys, they've expanded feminism, which I do hold to be like, it's a total, besides misguided, it has led to like so much hatred, right? And, and, and so many evil things, right? But nonetheless, you can't expand it like that. That every single thing that happens... Is a, is a feminist agenda and it's a feminist influence like they're, they're, they're regular people like everyone else who just want to learn something they want to do something with life you can't just sit around in two, four walls it's not like the old days the old days everyone was doing that but when as a human being you're seeing everyone doing something you're going to also want to be part of it but in a way that's had out for you so that's basically the summary of the khulasa of the matter um that's the khulasa now we can open up to your your questions and answers and what is um what is that montero saying what is he saying oh that's yeah i mean can men get braids yes they can as long as it's not an imitation in the style of braids should be um not uh who's he talking to when he said don't mock who's mocking nobody's mocking anything i don't know is he saying that his own comment is he's being serious no um man a man yes can get braids as long as they do not resemble the braids of women so the braids of the muslims used to get are two one on the right one on the left and behind the ears it is said, and Allah knows best, that the Beni, the, the sons of Isaac used to braid their hair in front of their ears and the sons of Ismail behind their ears. Who knows if that's the truth, but the Prophet did uh, get braids. And especially in war, where your hair would be all over the place, so they used to braid their hair before war. Alright, go ahead, Rai. What you got? Someone asked, isn't the Sahaba women, mm-hmm. Sahabiyats, learning as a reason... Can this be used as a proof that women 
should go to school. I don't even need, think you need to go there. Uh, learning, uh, the Sahabi had some of them learned, some of them didn't, but uh, you don't even need to go there. The Prophet ﷺ, the Quran itself, when it says iqra, when it says learn, when it says think, is not addressing only the men. It's addressing all people. All people, in order to solidify their iman and do something useful in the world, you need education for this. And learning, it's like a... I think learning is one of the best things that you could ever do in your life, but learning is not limited to schooling, right? I, you could learn in so many different ways. So whether that... And I think the best people who benefit from schooling are girls. Like, they, they benefit from schooling. And as I said earlier, guys are best off learning from experience. If anything, schools should be for girls and life experience outside the school should be for boys. Boys, you know, three, four hours of theory tops. Yeah, three, four hours of theories is way more than enough for boys. All right, what else you got? All right, lunch break is over. All right, take care, man. Assalamu alaikum. Abdullah says being a mother shouldn't be thought of as not getting involved in society. No, being a mother is it's extremely important in society. Right, read me questions. All right, it's, uh, Sophia is asking who is the qawm in this ayah? وَقَالَ الرَّسُولُ يَا رَبِّ إِنِّي they ignore, they disbelieve what's being said. And some of the Sahaba, as Sheikh Muhammad Yaqubi taught us, they took that for themselves, meaning that they took the criticism for themselves and they said that we should read the Quran and revive our relationship with the Quran. But the ayah is not a criticism of the Sahaba. It's an attack and a critique of the Mushrikeen of Mecca. Next. Um, okay, so let's take Reed's question here. Yeah, this one... About the attributes of Allah, so maybe you want to... All right, let's take the question from Safa. All of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are equal. They're all one. They're never separated from one another. His knowledge, his creation, or his his his, khalq, his, his, his the actions of his creation, his speech, everything, it's all one. Reed says, can we work for an animal nutrition association in a Western country? No problem. The industry involves feeding and caring for all different kinds of livestock. Okay. That will then be used for food or labor. And it includes pigs. Well, the aspect of raising pigs explicitly for food, that part of it would be haram. Everything else would be halal. And you're not responsible for who they sell their food to. But it's, if your job is to take care of animals,
Abu al-Hassan is saying, you're supporting them. They are Diobandi. Ahli al-Hadith, Najdi Mashrab. And a fringe of ISIS. And a fringe, some Sufis are amongst them. I don't know who's composed, as I said. I'm never pinning myself to a specific group. Then I would have to defend that whole group all the time. I'm not defending, pinning myself to a group. However, their statement that they are there and they are supporting Islam and the God and His Prophet وسلم, and the Sharia, and they even said, I think, Madhab Abi Hanifa, that to me has earned, it puts them at a level higher than those who are openly secularists. And I ask Allah to guide them to what is best. Okay. And, uh, and that is what I consider to be like that very broad, very broad general support. Very broad general support that uh, is not in the specifics, but just in the fact that they said that, that's what I support. The fact that they went there. You can be a supporter by joining patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. Patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. So just by the fact that they did that, it puts them at a level where I'm not going to hate on them the way that you hate on any other uh, r- regime, such as Modi, uh, what the Chinese are doing to the Uyghurs, etc. Or some of the purely secular Arabs. Okay. That's a, but it does not in- include the specific support of every single little detail. Turquoise says, when is it time to read the evening Athkar after Maghrib or after Asr? Anytime from the middle of Asr onwards, or even Asr onwards, as the sun is setting. You can read the evening Athkar. Sophia is asking, Does it apply to the Muslims or the Kafirs or the Umm at large? It applies to the Kuffar, meaning rejection. Hujran al-Quran, meaning complete rejection of the Quran. And it applies to the Muslims if they are heedless. The hujran of not reciting the Qur'an much. That's how it applies. Uwais says, Can expected universities' bachelor result to be changed due to dua, zikr, despite recognized lower performance than expected? I don't really understand the question, but if you had taken an exam, yes, you may make dua for yourself that you... Uh, do do good and do better than you thought you might have done. Why is sports, soccer, or football haram to play as a living? What if I use it to my advantage in gaining a platform to spread Islam? No, uh, and to give dawah. No, the Prophet ﷺ forbade playing sports for money. Full stop. And the only exception is the military leader, the governor, the, the ruler of a country. He can use his soldiers and have tournaments for his soldiers involving war games only because being a soldier is a bit boring right and he could put prizes up like whoever has the best shot who you know like shooting whatever guns or whatever you want to say wrestling swimming running all the stuff that is involved in war he could make games out of that and and they can get financial prizes to incentivize people to go into the army but to play a game for sport and to earn, uh, uh, to to play a sport for money as a living as a career, the prophet forbade it. And that's the ruling in the Madiku school. The prophet doesn't want us playing games our whole lives. Think about that. 
It's not the way. So then we should raise our kids to play games. That's that's how you're going to spend all your time. Can parents demand that their kids follow a certain job or career paths? Parents can make their kids study something when they're young, but once that kid becomes old and he can earn for himself, خلاص, there's no majal or no room for them to tell their kids what to do. All right, give me a 20-second timeout. Ryan, you could read something while I take a 20-second timeout. We need commercials so I can take that. That's what we were saying yesterday. <laughs> we need board the commercials. Yeah. Why don't you show the video of Master Faisal? All right, go ahead. And t- talk to them about it, too. All Uh, for a while now I've been posting about the dua of Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr this is Masjid al-Fatih the tent of the Prophet was here and this is where he made the dua for the battle of Khandaq this whole area is where the Muslims were and then far over there was where the pagans were so we can now go up uh, and actually see the location of where the Prophet made his dua on Wednesday. He made dua Monday and Tuesday, and he received the Bushra, the good news of acceptance, on Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr. And this is the masjid. Just a little small masjid, but this is where the tent of the Prophet was, and this is where he made that dua. And people can come here, make their dua, and pray. And we can now combine the time and the place of the ijaba. ...of what we want to talk about is very important knowledge. <clears throat> Nobody loves problems, right? Obviously, Nobody loves problems. However, some problems we are told are actually part of the blessing. Right? So some problems we are told exists, it's part of the blessing that Allah gave us. Some problems is just part of life. Some problems are for our benefit. And some problems must be fled, run away from, okay, must run away from, you must run away from it, some people say running away from your problems, is, is it good or bad, we say it depends on the type of problem, like we said yesterday, okay, there's something called tafsil, tafsil, there's ijmal and tafsil, ijmal is in general, tafsil is cut it up, divide it, okay, and it depends, so 
the, the question is, should I run away from my problems or should I face them head on? The answer is some yes, okay, and some you run and some you face them. Others you run away from them. Others you should even be thankful that you have them in the first place, okay? So here's what we're talking about. The fitna, okay, of daily life, all right? The fitna of daily life. This type of fitna is number one, built into everyone's life. It's built into life, whether you like it or not. Like getting a cold, stubbing your toe, these troubles, these problems, right? These things that bother you, okay? These uh, basically bad things that happen. It's part of daily life, okay? Uh, the fitna that you have to lower your gaze, it's part of daily life, all right? Do you like to look good? Yes, okay? So why should Allah make you look good and everyone else look bad? So other people will look good too, okay? So that you, you're going to see them in life. What do you have to do? Lower your gaze. This fitna is part of daily life, okay? What, how about something else? Like some people are created wealthy. Do you like to have money? Yes. Well, Allah gave money to everyone else too. So don't be jealous. So seeing those people and that fitna of envy is part of daily life. You can't change it. Okay. This, it will never be that there is any life without people that are better than you. Right. And you yourself have it better than other people. So people and you envy people and other people envy you. Okay. So these types of things, it's part of daily life. You're never going to escape it, so you might as well face it head on and ask yourselves, why do I have envy? Or ask yourselves, you know, how can I just avoid lowering the gaze, etc., or avoid looking at what I'm not supposed to look at, etc. Let's take this question. Sheikh, you just claim that all the attributes of Allah are one. Yes, that is true. In the sense that there is no separation between the attributes of Allah. It's not like... Uh, you don't separate between it. Can you expand upon? Isn't this divine simplicity? No, the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are unified. They're not separated. He is a summit. There's no separating them. That's all it is. Why says, what do you have, what do you do if you have a strong feeling that someone is the right person for you, but they reject you because they said they feel confident with moving forward, well, go after them again. Stick after them. If you want something, stick after it. Go after them again. I know a guy who went after a sister for many, many years. She said no many times, but he kept going. Were pics of, shown of Masjid al-Fatih? Yes, we did. Were the bricks added later? Yes, the bricks were added very early on. The, they made those brick buildings very, very early on in, in the history of Islam. When is someone ready to join Tariqah? No, that's... Um, uh, yani, if you have a sheikh and you find that that sheikh um, is is helping you and and it's uh, benefiting you, then that's when you can follow that sheikh. 
provided that that sheikh is effective and he's within the Sharia. Ryan Hilliard. Sheikh Nuh's translation, how does it compare to Ahmed Zaki Hamad? I didn't read Sheikh Ahmed Zaki Hamad. I didn't read that one yet. Can you take knowledge from someone that doesn't have a tariqah? Yes, of course you can. Can you? Sophia says, can you explain if the hijab is fard? Yes, hijab is fard in Surah An-Nur and Surah Al-Ahzab. وَلْيَضْرِبْنَ بِخُمُرِهِنَّ عَلَىٰ جُيُوبِهِنَّ Means that the, the default and the expectation and the understanding was that the women were wearing a headscarf that went behind their backs. And the Qur'an simply says, bring that headscarf in front of the chest. And as a result, the face, and the Prophet said in the hadith, that the face and the hands are what are permitted to be shown. Very simple thing. And it's not only that text, but it's all of the Sahabiyats dressed that way. And some of them covered their face and some didn't. Mothers of the believers covered their faces. But the Prophet did permit the face and the hands. And the Imams and the Shiuch, they had wives and they had mothers and they had sisters. So this is something that's not just textual, it's passed down by generations. Abdullah says, a sister said man can also be a stay-at-home man and not work due to what they can write in the nikah contract. No. No. You cannot write that as a contract point. What can happen is the man falls on some hard times and the woman is on good times, right? And she ends up for a period of time sponsoring the man or supporting her husband but the obligation, the, a marriage contract cannot negate an obligation or permit something forbidden, right? So you, that line of the contract is null and void, invalid. Null and void. To say that in this contract, I will not support you. No, that is, that's no different than sh- the saying in this marriage, we will not have intimate relations. Null and void. That line of, that line of the contract is null and void. He must, by religious obligation, be doing that. Now, if there's a situation that comes up where he fell short and she happens to be wealthy, that's acceptable. That's fine. That happens to be just a circumstance. It's a circumstance, but not in the contract, not an agreed-upon matter in the contract. Okay, That's an important exception to make. If you saw a dream and a vision and then you said it to somebody, can you jinx it? You should not say a true vision to somebody who may have jealousy towards you because they can give you hasid. But it will not alter the vision. It will not alter the meaning of the vision. What are the qualities and signs of the army of the Mahdi? They pray the night prayers. They do tahajjud and they observe the sharia. Uga says, uh, Giselle, Giselle A, not Giselle B, uh, is here, and we answered her question. Uh, a flash, she said, second question, a flash of the Prophet, in and out of sleep, is it a true dream? The answer is yes. Uga Panda is making fun of how Sheikh Zakir Naik talks, sinful? Yes, it's sinful. Yani, if it's just for fun, imitating him in a fun way, in a loving way, yes, but imitating him to make fun of him, no. And the proof of that is that the Habayb one time uh, 
uh, were in Ramadan and they saw that the youth, the young people in the, in Ramadan were stressed out. The, it was, the rigors of the month was was tough. So one of the shiuch there saw a, 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 a student lovingly imitating one of his teachers. So Habib Omar said, stand up and do the imitation because it was out of love. And he did the imitation. And then Habib Omar said, now imitate me. Right? To show that that was, if it's out of love, then that imitation is acceptable. But if it's going to hurt the other pe- person and it, people perceive it as mocking them, then no. Zakir Naik, he has mistakes, by the way. He has a lot of mistakes that are pretty bad uh, related to Yazid and Hussein. I don't know what his business was talking about Yazid and Hussein. But he also has a lot of good virtues. I'm sure a lot of people have entered Islam on, uh, uh, from him. And he, he has a massive organization, so there's a lot of good things about him too. Aren't we all mixed? Can we pray behind someone that doesn't follow a madhab? Yes, you can if his salah, his salah can still be valid, if, even if a person doesn't follow a madhab, because the arkan of salah are not that many. The fara'id of salah are not that many. So as long as he's reciting the fatiha, reciting the surah, saying the takbir, saying the tahmid, uh, staying still at each moment, tumatnina, you can pray behind him. Will this ummah last 1,500 years? No, that's just a speculation based upon some ahadith that are not even of the greatest strength. So don't even think too much about that. Don't even worry about the ummah. Worry about yourself. That's the attitude we should take. Just just worry about this generation. Myself, my family, my friends, my community. That's what we should worry about. As for the time and length of the ummah, it doesn't matter because we're going to die first anyway, right? And that's our end of time for me is my, is, is my death. That's what's most important. Abdullah says, thank you. I always thought it was an obligation for the man to provide. It is 100% an obligation. And a woman should accept to live. When you accept a man, you're accepting to live at his standard, right? You're you're accepting that. So if if a a daughter of a a doctor and a lawyer marries a guy who wants to, let's say, be a mechanic. She has to understand that that's how I'm going to live, right? And if she doesn't want that, she doesn't marry the guy. Simple. And if she changes her mind, she gets a divorce. Simple. Not that's not a, that it's a good thing, but that's the result. If you change your mind, you know what? I tried to live as, as a mechanic's wife for a few years. I can't really do it. All my other girlfriends and stuff, and uh, when I go, they all have a better life than me. Right, my, financially they're more comfortable, their their clothes is crispier, so I can't really do it. Say apologize to the man. I'm sorry. I, I try. I thought this would work. It's not going to work. You find another wife, and I find another husband. It's not a problem. All right. Not that divorce should be that easy, but in the time of the Sahab, it was not considered. It was considered like an an arrangement. Right. You help me in this. I help you in that. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out in the Catholic world, is what expanded marriage and divorce to be halas, this is it. Yeah, that's because they can only marry once and they can't divorce. If you look truly at the life of the Sahab, it was a bit more fluid. This was, okay, it didn't work out, move on. I'm not promoting that because nowadays um, emotions could be really scarred up. Again, it's about there's the text of the law, but then there's lived life and we have to apply that. And that's why we have a living senate. It's important. So we don't we support we don't promote that we're going to now live that life of Islam 
uh, like the Sahaba did in terms of marriage and divorce, right? C- constantly marrying and divorcing. Because at that time, it didn't. It seems like it didn't scar all of them emotionally that badly. But today it would, especially if you have kids. As a woman shouldn't publicly show herself on social media, says Sophia, without a need, say she isn't wearing makeup and minimally shows okay, herself for lifestyle video, cooking, DIY, is it allowed? Allah Adam, if there is some kind of benefit and it is done in an Islamic way and you can probably, maybe, possibly limit your audience to whoever requests to follow you, as there, like there is an Instagram and Facebook has that too, then that, and you're trying to just show people how to like do something useful, maybe there's room for that. Inshallah, there is, especially if you can limit the audience. Prophet made du'a that was accepted between Dhuhr and Asr on Wednesday. No specific du'a is specified. You can make any du'a you desire. That's correct. Are there any names of Allah that are superior to others? No, there is, we do not put, there are names of Allah that are, that are preferable to recite in certain situations. For example, in war, you don't recite, Ya Kareem, Ya Rahim, Ya Afu. No, you recite, Ya Muntaqim, Ya Kabir, right? In sickness, right, you recite, Ya Shafi. So in term, times and places, it is appropriate to recite one and what's the proof of that? When min al Quran, ma shifa wa rahmatun Allah says in the Quran, from amongst the Quran, not all of the Quran is shifa or mercy. Okay, it would be inappropriate to go to a wedding and open the wedding with a talaq maratan, right? <laughs> a divorce is twice. Oh, it's a word of Allah. Yes, but there's a time and a place to recite each different thing, each different verse. Likewise, with the names of Allah. And the, the, the greatest of all names of Allah it, and the one that implies all of his attributes is Allah itself. What is the meaning of Allah has for everything he created, he created a qadr for it, like a time, an amount, a location, like a, a, a qadr, an existence. When is it going to exist? Where is it going to exist? How much should it be like that? A qadr, an amount. A measure. How far away does a person in front of you need to be before for you to pray? As long as you, that person, um, if you're if you're in a masjid and someone's praying, you can go in front of the person as long as there's ample room for him to make his prostration, and it doesn't appear that you are crossing in front of him. How do I change myself? Says A W. So my intentions when doing good are for Allah and not for Jannah, or to avoid Jahannam? Uh, That's a very important question. So my brother A.W., when you do something to get, to, to gain paradise, or to avoid Jahannam, that is for the sake of Allah, because you would not even know what Jahannam was, nor believe in it, except through your belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I'm worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because I want something good in life who is going to reward me with that good if i allah so therefore your ibadah is for the sake of allah that is one you are 100 sincere that is and 100 sincere ibadah and sincere ibadah it just has three levels like bronze silver gold all of them are accepted with allah 
Ibadah out of fear of something is accepted with Allah. Ibadah for desire for something, dunya or akhirah, is accepted with Allah. And ibadah solely out of gratitude, shukr and love for Allah is like platinum. And you don't need to ask, how do I get to one? You just do whatever it is that you're at, at that station right now. Whatever it is that moves your heart and moves your body, you do that. It will eventually, by itself, keep going up. Just like, how do I get from New York to California? Start traveling west. It doesn't matter. Just keep traveling west. You will eventually get through Kansas, Ohio first, and then all these other states, and then like New Mexico and Los, all these other states, Arizona, then you'll get to California. So, yes, you don't force this. Just wherever you are, do the ibadah in that manner. Whatever moves you. If, if I'm moved only by fear, like my iman is, is, is such that I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do any extra ibadat, Right? Unless I'm scared of something. So then you motivate yourself with that fear. Right? The fear of possibly going astray. The fear of falling into sins. You, the fear. Motivate yourself by that. If you're in a situation where I'm motivated by... Because I always want something. I, I never get up for the night prayer unless I can get something. I'm a capitalist. I need to get something out of this. Right? I need a reward from Allah in this dunya before the next. Go that route. No problem. Because eventually, over time you will get so rewarded that you will come to love your Creator so much. And the ibadah itself will put such a sweetness in your heart that you will love your Creator so much. It will happen naturally by itself. So that's how you work. That's how you do it. Sanat says, how to navigate the fear of poverty and worries related to the cost of living. First thing, monitor your speech and your thoughts. Never complete a sentence that is a fear of poverty. And always replace it immediately by saying, Allah has created a lot of wealth and he'll give me what I need. He has created a lot of wealth. And he's generous. All I have to do is ask and work hard, right? And ask and then the wealth will come. You, it's so self-talk. Self-talk. Uh, Sobi is an unmarried woman in her 30s obligated to live with her parents. Yes, in a, uh, the father is obligated to care for his daughter and she should have a mahram with her, uh, guarding her and protecting her uh, until she marries. Are there situations where she ends up can live somewhere else? Those would be exceptions, right? Those would be exceptions. But And if something happens, the sin is on the dead. Like let's say she says, oh, I'm a big computer IT, I got a great degree, and I'm moving out to California, right? There should be always be a mahram to protect a Muslim woman at all times. That's the rule. If something then happens that is not good to that woman, okay, the sin is on the dead. That's how it works. Ali Barney is about drop shipping, namely that the product doesn't exist. You sell the product, then they print the product. And then they send it off. There's debate about that. And it's, inshallah, it is permitted. There is debate on that. And A.W. says, I heard there are three levels of intentions. All right? So, uh, now I understand. Jazakallah khair. Time check? 2.53. We got seven minutes to go. What's the meaning of this ayah in Surah Ash-Shura? 
قل لا أسألكم عليه أجر إلا المودة في القربة It means the Prophet is saying I'm not asking you for any fees I don't want your money If you want to give me something Be nice to my, my family Because Allah knows And he, the Prophet ﷺ, was informed They will face a lot of tribulations after him Think about this Sayyidina Ali was killed by a Muslim Sayyidina Hassan was poisoned by a Muslim Sayyidina Hussein was killed by a Muslim Sayyidina Fatima died young Muhsin, the third child of Fatima Died in miscarriage Ahlul Bayt has a lot of tribulations And some of them at the hands of Muslims So the Prophet ﷺ is saying Be kind to my family Uh, Enigma says, I'm always afraid of diseases, accidents. So you have to have husn al-dhan billah. And again, go with the self-talk. Allah will take care of me. Allah will bless me. Allah will help me. Allah will be there for me. Self-talk in the positive about the mercy of Allah and his generosity. Allah will take care of me. Allahu ma'i. Allahu shahidi. Allahu hadri. Like that. Constant that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to take care of you. This is from the meaning of... This is the correct meaning of I'm in the good opinion of my slaves. Sayyid Muhammad Daniel says, if I made Nia to pray three rakahs maghrib and by mistake prayed four, okay, can I leave it and consider that Aisha? No. Whatever you open the salah with, that's what you have to do. So you have to pray to sujood sahu for adding to the salah after the salam. Ultimus minimus. Uh, someone in Latin class here uh, saying, do you have any resources that fully explain each madhab? Well, the best one is the book. I don't know, but I'm sure, I'm sure you can find biographies on the internet. No doubt about that. Online biographies of the four imams. But the best book of that is The Four Imams by Abu Zahra. Get that book, dive into that book, and make your decision on which imam and madhab is most worthy of following. Is it better to fast like the Prophet Dawood or the fast of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Definitely the fast of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Prophet Muhammad, because it's something that could last longer. The fast of Dawood will be disrupted by the hardships of life that are to come, and the best of deeds is that which lasts the longest. Anam Jamshid says, "If a mother lost her child at a very young age, what should she do to?" Where's the question? Mm. Uh, console herself you console yourself by saying the dua Allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa khlufni khayram min oh Allah give me reward for bearing patiently with this calamity and give me something better than this Allah will give you a better child than that and you must constantly repeat that to yourself repeat 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 Anza says, why don't Muslims emphasize the role or emphasize the role of mahram outside of just getting women married? The mahram is obligated, which is the father in the first uh, level, and then it'll go to, or the son really in the first level, if there is a son who is mature, then the father, then it would be the grandfather or the uncles like that. They are uh, responsible for protecting the sister. They're, they're, they're the woman in their family protecting her from being harmed to make sure she never has to work for food or never has to work for a roof over her head and then his, not even his obligation to try to get her married right? that's usually maybe something between the uh, women 
in the community who are tend to be just as a as a observed fact tend to be more the matchmakers than the men does reading surah waqiah help against poverty and the answer is yes in the sense that it keeps reminding you of the akhirah so you will be content with less that's the wisdom behind it and that's not even from the prophet it's from the sahaba can you have mixed intentions in that you're doing deeds out of fear of committing sins and you want things and because you're grateful? Yes, of course, 100%. All of those are acceptable to be mixed in one heart. And I think everything is, right? At any given moment, your, your feelings towards Allah are all of these three things. Is mixing fiqh allowed? I'm Hanafi, but I'm traveling and I want to combine Yeah, and it's, if there's a hardship, you may switch and do things the way of the Shafi'i. If there, you could say there's a hardship. And I'll tell you why, because this is not an Islamic country that we're in. Whereas in the past, there's a place to pray everywhere. You have no excuse not to pray. In the Islamic countries, there's probably a place to pray anywhere. But let's say I'm going to Georgia, Ohio, or Atlanta, and there's no place for me to pray Dhuhr and Asana, and I'm a stranger here. Then, inshallah, there's, your salah will definitely be valid if you... Uh, when, of course, I know that some uh, people of Madahib will not like that. But I, I don't find that it's not going to invalidate your prayer. And it's understandable. You're living in a Western country. There's no place to pray half the time, more than half the time. Reading the stories of the Awliyat depresses me. I feel I will never be on their level. No, of course you won't be. And they won't suffer your trials either. Is any of the awliya of the past, one of them, has he avoided pornography? Has he been tempted by pornography? There are sins here, here, in my pocket, in my laptop. Has any of the great awliya, has he ever faced that? No. So you have that reward. They don't. Okay. So don't ever go into this comparison and it's always just a beating yourself up and don't do it. There's no comparison between us and them. We are rank if we attain anything. It will probably be by avoiding temptations. What temptations did this, the, the Salaf have? If that Salaf wanted to listen to music, he couldn't. Right? He couldn't. He would have to go late in the night and ask around, where is the, the house? The, the, they, they had like a, someone's home. It was someone's home that had the facade in it. Where is his house? How do I get in? And you could only go for the time that they were there, and the music probably wasn't even that good. Right? It's a hassle to commit sins. That's the time when people were good. Society was good. It was hard to commit sins. Today, show me one person who does not hear a melody or a tune or an instrument every single day of the year. You go to Trader Joe's, it's there. You go to ShopRite, it's there. You go to Target, it's there. You go to Walmart, it's there. You're at a traffic signal. The guy next door has got a thing, uh, the, the next car over has got his thing blasting. You cannot avoid it, right? You know songs and you never even tried to listen to them, right? So you can't avoid it. So they're living in a situation. We're living in a cold situation. Don't ever make a comparison. And draw to Allah, near to Allah by the thing that has no precedent. Oh Allah, nobody ever tried to avoid this now we're moving on the second generation now and hopefully we could etch a path and protect the previous the, the next coming generation from these things
Tahir Omar, what if someone has no mahram to take care of her? It happens all the time to converts. She just bees with the jama'ah of Muslims. Bees. I just invented a word. Sophia, are men sinful only if something happens to their daughters or they're already sinful by sending her a daughter to study? He's sinful for, for, for letting her be in the situation in the first place. Yes, that is sinful. Unless there's an exception. Remember, there's a general rule, then there's an exception. I'm not gonna, we don't know the exceptions, but that's the general rule. Al-Musafir. This is a kalam question. I'm sorry if it's a better place to ask. If we believe in correlation and not causation, how can we believe in propositional knowledge? I assume that he means there al-ilm al-tajribi. Yeah. Al-ilm al-tajribi does not, it conflicts with the concept of uh, cor- uh, that we don't believe in causation. Give us a definition. They need a better definition than that. Go down to people also ask. The traditional definition of propositional knowledge emerging from Plato's Menothur proposes that such knowledge that something is the case has three essential components. Can they please write English, these people? Just write English, right? Okay, so I'm going to say that this, what he means is right? That water quenches thirst. Okay. When we say water quenches thirst, we mean, if we're going to be theological about it, that Allah if he, uh, creates quenching after drinking, after he creates drinking, right? So in action, when we act, we can say and attribute the... Okay, so the, the real answer to his question is that, if I understand it correctly, we, may, we are allowed to attribute the same result to the cause as the source. In the same way that Allah says in the Quran, قُلْ يَتَوَفَّاكُمْ مَلَكُ الْمَوْتِ Allah say, the angel of death takes your soul. But we know the angel of death is an intermediary and not the cause, and not the source. He's just an intermediary. He's a cause and not the source. But you are allowed to speak like that. We're allowed to say, water quenches your thirst. Believing that water is the sabab that Allah created. Uh, Musafir, tell me if I understood your question right and if I answered it right. Or if I answered it, essentially. Reed says, are we allowed to wear leggings without covering our thighs in front of other girls? That's a good question, to be honest with you. The aura of women to women. Okay, so the answer is that even that should be covered. Because tight, uh, tightness is not coverage in our religion. We don't consider that tight coverage. What does it mean that dua changes qadr? Either number one, it literally changes the qadr. Allah will alter what is written in the book in the lowest heavens, the book of destiny. Or number two, that... Uh, 
it means that you are protected that the qadr will still come down but you will not be harmed by it it's like putting a roof over your head or an umbrella shazia how do you become overcome hopelessness during a trial although allah is always hearing us hopelessness is only a result of sins do a lot more ibadah stay away from sins and you will find your hopelessness goes away can we take our shirts off if we're with the guys yes Can you share some Umrah stories? If it comes to my mind, inshallah, we'll help. But otherwise, it is now 3 o'clock. It is now 3 o'clock, and I was just waiting on uh, Musafir to see if I understood his question right. But we'll just take one last question from Giselle A., Getting body hair removed by other women in private rooms, it is permissible as long as they are not seeing your aura. Okay, they should not be seeing, you should not getting be getting your area like that is the aura, but if it is the face, then yes. Yes, you may do that. And if they're Hindus, be very careful. You don't want them collecting your hairs. No offense if that's offensive to all other Hindus out there, but there is a lot of black magic going on and they use your body hairs to do black magic so i would be uh, mindful of that maybe i'm a bit paranoid about it about it and maybe it's not true at all but i did learn from a woman she said that she went to one of these salons and she found like a black magic magazine indian community right the hindu community and there's one magazine on black magic like witchcraft right yeah and i'm like i don't want to get involved in this i see too much sihr or at least claims of sihr, right? And so I don't want to be involved with them. So uh, Sophia says, Morocco, Moroccans are n- number one of the Arabs in sihr. No offense to Moroccans, right? They're number one in this stuff. So you just have to make sure you go to a trustworthy person who does not uh, get involved in that stuff. You go in and they're like secular and they're not involved in any of that stuff. That's good. That's better. But it, it is halal for you to do it in a private room. Anam Jamshed, can you explain according to the Hanafi school, things done by the family of the deceased, like feeding people how many days, how many quls. I can tell you that in the Hanafi school, you may do any act of ibadah and donate the reward of it to the deceased. In the Madiki school, you're only allowed to do the ibadat that are financial, which end up being sadaqah and hajj and umrah, because hajj is half of physical, half financial ibadah. So you may do hajj on behalf of someone who died as a Muslim, umrah on behalf of someone who dies as a Muslim, sadaqah on behalf of somebody who died as a Muslim. But they have to have been dead as a Muslim. If they're still alive, you make dua for them only. If they're still alive. Thank you all very much. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu salihat. وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله